everyone, welcome to All Things Iceland. This is Jules, a native New Yorker that moved to Iceland in 2016. After falling in love with the country, I started the All Things Iceland podcast and social media channels in 2018 to share with travelers and others who are interested in Iceland about the country's fascinating history, culture, nature, language, and travel. Sharing insights, travel recommendations, folklore, interviews, and so much more have helped thousands to become more familiar with Iceland and have epic adventure. I'm really excited about doing my first response episode for my Ask Jules Anything About Iceland series. Thank you to everybody who sent in questions. As I mentioned in previous episodes, I will answer 10 questions at a time. And so please keep sending in questions. I will, of course, have the link in the description of this episode on allthingsiceland.com. But you can, of course, on allthingsiceland.com, find it in the About Me section. When you click at the top navigation, there's a tab there. It says About. Click that. There's a pull down in your house. Ask Jules anything where you can get to the form. Super easy to fill out. And yeah, thank you. And I'm just elated because you're such great questions. And the next 10, I already have, I think, five others besides these 10, uh, really get into more about what Icelanders think about people in the U.S. So send in at least five more questions <laughs> so I could do that one and provide some insights. So the first question, I'm just doing them in order of how I receive them. And please keep in mind that you can send in more than one question. It's just that I ask that you send in one question at a time. So you send in one question, you refresh, and then you send in another one like that. Of course, you know, the amount you send it, it doesn't matter to me, but it is nice to get a variety of questions from different people. So the first one, just to jump into it, is Rob from Chattanooga. And Rob asks, can you please discuss some of the history of ravens in Iceland? I was delighted to hear about some mischievous ravens by Jökulsárlón Glacier Lagoon who were working in tandem to collect and confiscate tourist goods. <laughs> They're so clever. Do we know when they arrived in Iceland and how has their presence impacted Icelandic culture? Great question, Rob. And absolutely. So in terms of how Iceland got its name, it's actually by someone who is associated with ravens. Trapna Floki is, according to at least the Book of Settlements, or Lannauma in Icelandic, he is the second Norwegian Viking that came to Iceland and is noted, or you know, the claim to fame is that he is the one who gave Iceland its name. So in essence, Trapna Floki means Raven Floki. So his nickname even had Raven in it because the stories say that he had three ravens. And when he was sailing in the general direction, because he was given, you know, information from a S Swedish Viking as to how to get to the country, he wasn't sure when he would hit land. So he would use the ravens to go in different directions in order to, you know, if one came back or whatever else, then he would know that he eventually reached land. So even just in terms of the very beginning before people even were settling in Iceland, and he's, you know, one of the first people to really live here, he didn't settle in terms of stay he did come in the summertime, had an amazing summer, was not prepared for the winter, and almost died, which is terrible. And so how Iceland got its name, I'm just doing this really short in terms of the story because there's much more to it than this. 
But in short, before leaving during the winter or the ending of winter, he climbed up on a mountain because he ended up in the West Fjords, which if you know anything about Iceland, the West Fjords, winter there is treacherous even now at times. So back then I can only imagine, but he climbed up onto a mountain and looked into the fjord and the fjord was packed with ice. And so it was the land of ice or Iceland. So yeah, that's just one thing. And then when you think about Norse mythology, Odin, so when Norwegians were coming over and some Swedish as well to settle in Iceland, whether it was Vikings who were coming over to check it out or farmers who were coming to settle. These individuals were worshiping Norse gods. And of course, in Norse mythology, Odin, who is like the top of the top, he has two ravens named Hukken and Munnin, which Hukken means thought and Munnin means memory or mind. And these ravens would fly all around the world, so in essence Midgard, and bring information to him. So, and this was written in the poetic Etta, which was compiled in the 13th century. Iceland, of course, was settled in 800, 900. But as stories were being written down, if that was happening more in like the 12th century, 13th century. So you end up having history or at least stories about these Norse gods that were being told from memory or just passed down through voice and whatever else. But obviously they were then written down at some point. So for sure, ravens have been always associated with being very smart, as you mentioned in terms of them working in tandem to collect and confiscate tourist goods. I just laugh every time I hear that. And also ones that are respected here. Animals in general are respected but the idea behind, you know, when you see a raven is that they're probably up to something fascinating or being strategic. I'll see, though, if there's some more. I mean, I, I don't doubt that there are some other really fascinating raven-related stories. But those are two things immediately that came to mind when you asked that question. So I think that's amazing. And I will see about finding out more and maybe even interview somebody who is just like a, a raven expert in Iceland and its impact on the culture. Number two is from Jeff. Jeff says, hello, we are taking a cruise out of Reykjavik with NCL and looking to arrive a few days early to explore. We'll be renting a car with Go Car Rental Iceland and we wanted to know the best way to get from their Reykjavik office to the cruise port in September upon our rental return. The cruise port is Skarvabake. Thank you for your input. So yeah, this question thankfully is fairly simple. It is around nine minutes of driving from Gokar Rental Iceland's location in Reykjavik, which is at Skogahlith, I believe now. They changed it to be a little bit more convenient. So taking a taxi would be the easiest way, for sure. And I also best way too, because if you have any stuff with you that, you know, you don't want to have to like take on a bus. If you really want to take a bus, you can, that you have to make, take two buses and it will be more than an hour for you to get to this place that would normally take you a nine minute drive. Of course, a taxi is going to cost more. If you want to walk, I believe that would take you over an hour. Also, I would estimate somewhere around like $15, maybe $20, just depending on the cost of things at summertime. But I'll have a link to a taxi service, Trevit. So H-R-E-Y-F-I-L-L, where you can utilize them if you'd like to. I mean, there's other services that you can look up to. 
I don't have any association with them. It's just one I've used in the past. But that amount of time, since it's so short, you don't have to be worrying about paying a ridiculous amount of money for traveling with a taxi. Number three is Kelly C. If there was only one beautiful place in Iceland you could visit, which one would it be? Oh my goodness, Kelly, that's such a hard question. I want to give you, I, I did rack my brain and there's so much that came up that I was like, that it doesn't feel possible, but I'm going to do this anyway. What I'm going to do though, is I'm going to give you two places because I can't help myself. And one is going to be super remote and another one's going to be uh, easily accessible. Everything obviously in Iceland, so many places are beautiful. But one place I really love that not as many people visit because it is hard to get to is called Eldgjau. Eldgjau, or like uh, Fire Canyon. And Eldgjau ended up being this insane canyon in the south area. It's in the highlands. And getting there, especially to the area that I like to go, there's like a waterfall and everything. It's best to have in a car that is modified and can cross rivers. So that's why I say that this is the more remote one. I was fortunate enough to visit the first time to this canyon when I was on this nine-day hiking trip. The weather was crazy, but when it cleared and we could see into the canyon, it was insane. It was so beautiful. And then I went back on a lovely day and could see, and I just, the thoughts, and that was like years apart. And the thoughts I had about it were like, yep, this is what I remember. It's insanely beautiful. And <laughs> And you could just like hike in there and just have a grand old time. It's it's really lovely. And there's a visitor center um, slash bathroom area before you would get to inside the canyon that you can go to. So yeah, that's one that's remote. And then the other one, which I always really love, and it's a little bit of a hidden gem, in my opinion, is Westman Islands, Hema'e. It's in summertime. These are both summertime things that I'm referring to when they're in their prime it's insane when you're on that ferry and just seeing the islands pop up as you're getting closer and just everything feels so surreal and green and gorgeous. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's your, I'm really like loving these questions. All right, number four is, I think your name is Sabria. Hopefully I'm saying that right. If not, I apologize. And she says, thank you for your informative and entertaining podcast. My pleasure. Do you need to drive in order to fully enjoy Iceland? I'm a passenger princess, love it, and don't know how I would get around if I don't come with someone who drives. Fair question. I'm all here for the passenger princesses. I get it. Well, the reason why I often bring up driving in Iceland is just because you have your freedom to go wherever you want, but you can absolutely take tours, for instance, where you're driven everywhere by professionals. If that's what really floats your boat, there are ones that are day trips, multi-day trips, and you can just sit back, relax, and not have to worry about doing any of the, you know, heavy driving, which could be four hours, five hours, sometimes even up to eight hours, depending on where you're going. So yes, it is absolutely possible for you to come and be a passenger princess. And when I say bus, I'm talking about guided bus tours. Some people do want to take a bus around Iceland, meaning like it's not a tour. It's just transportation to get you from point A to point B. That is much more difficult. And I would think for your sake, in terms of making life easier, it's probably better just to go on the guided tours and allow them to do all of the reservations for the hotels and whatever else. And on allthingsison.com for this episode, I'll have a link where you can check out a website where they end up having multi-day tours and whatever else there. So feel free to check that out, Sabria. 
Number five is Kelly N. And Kelly asks, how do people in Iceland view the political climate in the U.S.? Oof. Well, to be completely honest, there's a lot of confusion here, I'll say. And confusion around the fact that there's so much extreme kind of rhetoric that's thrown around the U.S. And, and U.S. political like news and everything definitely makes it over here to Iceland. It gets translated into Icelandic. And so when knowing that the next you know, election cycle is like basically being geared up and, and candidates are for the front runners at least have been pointed out for each party, there's a lot of like thinking of it sort of scary, being kind of scary, the landscape, the, the climate, very tense. And, and confusing when I mentioned that, it has to do with the fact of like the idea of who's up to become the next president. It's just like the options are so limited. And in Iceland, there are many, many parties that are possible, right? And so like in parliament, it's not just that you only have, first of all, two political parties. People can invent a political party as long as you even you get enough support from the population in some way, that political party then becomes legitimate and can join parliament. Whereas in the United States, obviously, this is not the case. I mean, there are other parties, but they don't hold the same weight or influence or power as a Democrat or a Republican. And so often people are shaking their heads here like, wow. I mean, granted, don't get me wrong. Iceland definitely has things like corruption and issues with political parties, ones that are older and can sometimes be pretty scary, too, in their own ways. But it's not the extreme because of more balance that happens or that is kind of set in place purely by the system so that no political party can really have as much influence as the two have in the U.S. However, I won't say there aren't some that are, of course, like somewhat dominating, but that is changing here. So I guess what I'm getting at is how Iceland views it is that it's very limited in terms of your options in the U.S. And then also how extreme views have been getting in terms of and, and how much people don't even agree on like kind of basic things regarding rights for people is pretty scary. So Iceland, in comparison to some of the laws that have been passed or like ideas of laws being passed that would limit people's rights like that just freaks Icelanders out <laughs> regarding like LGBTQ or women, like all of that is something where Icelanders go, okay, well, I, I first thought this is a place where I would, you know, like to be. And now it's like, I don't know if I want to go like live in the U.S. Um, some people feel that way, not everybody, but there's definitely a lot of lack of uh, understanding how it's gotten to be this intense and also how a lot of places look to the U.S. as almost like a role model because it's a superpower. And that's sort of, you know, scary to the ripple effect of, of everything that's possible to happen there or that's already happening that impacts Iceland and other places. So, so yeah, that's just a tidbit of it. I mean, I've had conversations with different Icelanders who would be like, what is going on over there? <laughs> that's usually what the question is. I'm like, I don't know how to explain it to you because I'm also confused at times. Okay, on to number six. Uh, Adele F. asks, can you please slow down and maybe even spell out the names of the places you mentioned in your podcast? It's a wonderful podcast, but it is so difficult to understand Icelandic names without seeing them in print. And even then, it's difficult. I totally understand you, Adele. I can understand that not being able to see them is frustrating. I don't know where you're listening to the podcast on, but I do 
print out, meaning I type out all the things that I say on the podcast. Like I write blog posts in essence for the descriptions of the blog of the podcast on allthingsison.com. So for every episode that including this one, I will write out my answers. I'll write out the full like it's not even a transcript. It's more written like a blog post just so that it's easy for people to read. So if you were to find my one of my episodes through Google search and you didn't even listen to the podcast itself, you were just reading it on my website, you would still be able to see all of the different words and the spelling of them. So it is possible to see it written down. And I do that purposefully because I know it can be sometimes uh, hard for individuals. So I just encourage you to go over to allthingsison.com. And for any episode that you've been listening to, you can click on it there and literally just read the description and you will have the Icelandic names right there for you. And if you want to you know, practice saying them or if you want to copy and paste them into another document for yourself to keep track of, feel free to do that. The next question, number seven, Lincoln K. What wildlife can I expect to see on a trip to Iceland and where can I find them? It absolutely depends on what time of year you come. I'm going to give a scenario for you coming in summertime just because all of the animals are out at that point. So I'm going to give domestic and wildlife in terms of those just roaming around free only because you will think that some of the domestic animals are wildlife <laughs> to the fact that they are roaming around free. Icelandic sheep. So in the wintertime, they're in the sheds, like stored away. But in summertime, they are mostly roaming free, even on the roads and everything. So you'll see those everywhere. Icelandic horses stay outside, whether it's winter or not. So as you're just driving, you'll see them grazing, really beautiful. There are cows. Most people don't know that, that Iceland does have cows. There's also goats. Less likely to see those just randomly. There's a goat farm that you can even go to. Whales, of course, off the coast, you take a tour, boat tour. If you go to the east in the summertime, you can see reindeer, Icelandic reindeer, super cute. They are very afraid of humans and rightfully so because they are hunted. <laughs> so and I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I'm like, poor things. Whenever they see like a car stop or whatever, they're just like, run. And they head in another direction. They have incredible sense of hearing and smell. So um, it isn't as easy to like get close enough to take a great picture unless you have an amazing lens. There is a reindeer visitor center or like little farm that's been created for two reindeer that were abandoned at some point and then rescued. And that's in Eostadir in the east and uh, puffins. Beautiful wildlife, all types of birds, Arctic tern, puffins, you might even see eagle. Like there's a lot of birds here. Puffins are the ones I point out because most people are literally, I almost said flocking. Most people are coming to Iceland to see puffins who do come here in the summer to nest. And then they live out at sea during the wintertime. So places like Lautrapjark, Grimse in the north, Dirholae, Hemae on the Western Islands. Borgafjörður Estre in East Iceland. And most people don't realize also that you can take a boat tour from Reykjavik and even see puffins not too far from the harbor here. So yeah, there are a lot of different places. Seals. So seals live all around Iceland. And some of the best places to see them, though, are in the West Fjords. 
There's Vatsnes Peninsula, the Sifosnes Peninsula, Yoko Salon, Glacier Lagoon. They're just like swimming about in there. And if you take a boat tour, you can usually get a little closer to them. In Kvamstanke, there's actually a seal center. And there are two seals that are have been rescued and that live there full time. In terms of some whales, so like I mentioned, there's also whales that are just wild. But there's beluga whales, too, that had been rescued. And they're just living out their life in the Westman Islands on Hema A. And you, there's an exhibit where you can go and see them. There are mink and rodent. You're normally rodents. You're normally not going to see just mink anywhere. Rodents, if you're in the countryside at like a cabin or something, and you leave the door open, the little mice will try to find their way in. So just FYI, don't do that for your own sake. Orcas, porpoises, Arctic foxes, which are actually the only native land mammal. So... The funny thing is that a lot of these other animals, obviously not seals and stuff, but the ones that were living on land, they were brought over. Whereas Arctic foxes found their way over here because way back in the day, before any person came here during like ice age, land was more connected by ice. And so they came over and then when the ice was melting, it was cut off for them to leave. So in essence, they've just always been here. They're, they're kind of like the first settlers, if you will. And of course, like there's Icelandic sheepdog, again, domestic, but and you won't necessarily see them, but uh, they're on farms. So if you were to visit a farm that allowed that, then you could see Icelandic sheepdog. And I meant to mention that an Arctic fox, you can randomly see them in different places in Iceland. However, one place you can absolutely see, actually there's two places you can absolutely see them. One is uh, in the West Fjords. Well, okay, both places are in the West Fjords, but at the Arctic Fox Center, there's some rescued uh, Arctic foxes there. And another place is called Hornstrander, and that is off, like, the coast of Isafjörður in the West Fjords. And what's amazing about there is this is such an isolated place. So Arctic foxes are allowed to be hunted in other parts of Iceland, but on this specific area or in this specific area, Hornstrander, like I said, it's illegal to hunt them. So it ends up being that they roam free, not afraid of humans. And I've seen some great photographs from my friend who is a photographer and he's gotten like incredibly close. Now, granted, he does have a great lens too, but he was just saying that the foxes were just prancing around, not caring. Now, this is a very isolated area. I have yet to go there just because you do usually have to spend a decent amount of time some days. Um, I think they have some day trips but it just doesn't fit into my schedule. So that's just, you know, some potential places from very easy to see around the country to a bit more of a challenge or planning in order to see some of the wildlife and domestic life here. Oh, and of course, if you want, and I guess I should say, if you want to interact with the Icelandic horse, you just take a horse tour or go to one of the farms and see if you can interact with them. Please do not feed them random things, any of the animals here, but it seems that people often are feeding the horses and that is something that can cause digestive issues and whatever else. So just enjoy them from afar if you do see them while you're driving. Number eight is from Lincoln also. So Lincoln sent in three questions, I believe. Yes. So number eight is what are some hidden gems on the south coast of Iceland? So I'm going to give you three that I think are really cool because there's really not a lot, Lincoln. It's it's getting tougher and tougher out there in terms of <laughs> these hidden gems. But Noithusagil, this is a little bit on F Road, on in F Road. It's not just like when I say F Road, it's it's 
all F-roads, but there are F-roads that lead into the highlands. These are mountain roads. You need a 4 by 4 car to drive on them. And so um, you don't have to cross any rivers to get to this location. It's past where you would drive for Ceylon's Foss. The best time to go there is definitely in summertime, but also if you're going to go in like late summer, early fall is still good as well because the road is usually still open. But Husagil is amazing. It's really beautiful. And there's um, make sure you have your water-resistant boots on, hiking boots, because you have to cross into some water a little bit and then use a chain to pull yourself up very briefly. It's not as difficult as really as it sounds, but there's a hidden waterfall in the background. So that's why it's worth just going there and enjoying the view and, and the kind of like adventurous trek to get there. Glukafoss waterfall is more hidden than other places. Like I said, there's not a bunch of hidden gems now because so many people have uh, seen so much of the south. But this translates to window waterfall. And that's a really nice one to stop at. Usually there's not a lot of people or hardly anyone there just because they're not aware of it. And then my all-time favorite hidden gem, which is hidden in plain sight. It just, it gets me every time I go there. At Skogafoss Waterfall, one place where there are tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand or more people that visit every year. In the summertime in particular, just, this is the time to go really because of access. But if you go up the steps next to the waterfall, there's of course a great view uh, to see Skogafoss Waterfall. But there's a gate there. And once you go past the gate, if you keep walking just an hour, literally I timed it because I even made a video about this and maybe I'll link that video in to the, the description here for this episode on allthingsison.com. I saw eight additional waterfalls. Those are ones that I, of course, counted just in a one hour walk one way. So two hours that you're staying there, altogether you'll see nine waterfalls. This trail is going into the highlands of Iceland. So this is the reason why uh, most people are not going there. They don't know where it leads. They might be on a bus, so they don't have the same amount of time. So if you have a car, you have your own time, you can go there. The more you go on this trail, it's going to get more intense because it's going into the highlands. So I'm not suggesting that you go all the way, but you can hike this trail for hours if you feel like it. And it's gorgeous, especially on a lovely day. And if you want to do the whole trail, it's called the Fimberhaus Trail, which will take you to Thorsmork, which is a great and amazingly beautiful place in the Icelandic Highlands. Of course, thing you'd have to worry about is getting your back. Sometimes what people do is they take a bus or something that gets them to Skogafoss, some kind of tra transportation, and then they do the trek, which will take you somewhere around 13 hours, depending on how fast you hike. And then at Thorsmark, you can stay overnight. But if you get there, I guess, in time, you can get the bus that will take you back, I believe, to Reykjavik, or at least to a spot that gets you to another bus to Reykjavik. So, yeah, those are some hidden gems, those three, that can definitely get you some nice fun without a lot of people around. Number nine is also from Lincoln, who asked, how difficult is finding food and icing for people with dietary restrictions, for example, gluten or dairy-free? Not difficult at all, which I'm very happy to say because I am plant-based, I'm vegan, and dairy-free is a big part of that. <laughs> and uh, while I'm not gluten-free, I know many people who are, who live here, who visit here and going to the stores like Kronan, Bonus, Hagkoip, they have gluten-free options. Going to restaurants, they have gluten-free options. I'm not saying every restaurant around the country is amazing at it. But in Reykjavik, you'll definitely find a lot of options for both. It can vary between it being 
vegan or being, you know, dairy free in terms of they can just take out whatever the dairy is. Yeah, it's been amazing how much has developed and how much things have changed regarding options for people. So you won't have a difficult time. Granted, I've lived, of course, in the city the majority of the time I've been here, but I've had extended stays in remote places like the West Fjords and even the food markets there have had options for vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, and even for keto people. It literally had the spectrum of possibilities. You'll find in Iceland that people who live here who have those same type of needs. And so the stores do their best in order to be able to accommodate. The last question for at least this episode, and I'm looking forward to more coming in so I can answer more of them, is from Lavinia. So I hope I said that right. And Lavinia says, I will be in Akureyri with my family in June on Independence Day. So that's June 17th. What can we expect to see for festivities? Yay! This is a really fun day. So I think you and your family are going to have a wonderful time because it's the National Day of Iceland. And like I mentioned, 17th. It's very important in terms of celebrations. So in Reykjavik, in Akureyri, the two biggest towns, well, one's a city, one's a big town. Uh, Akureyri is kind of considered the capital of the north. People are gathering and celebrating all day. There's a schedule of events that usually starts at 11 in the morning and ends at midnight. So you, every hour of the day, there's something going on. There's a flower car kind of uh, procession. There's a parade led by the Scouts Association. There are performances, celebrations at the Botanic Garden, concerts, tons of food. And I'll have a link to last year's celebration. So this is also, like I mentioned, in Reykjavik, it's similar in terms of the amount of celebrations is, is a lot. And in Reykjavik, they do a little bit more just because they have more resources and more people and, and things like that. But Akureyri definitely shows up and shows out in their own way. So I think being up there, you'll just kind of get a different flavor of it in essence, but still one that's really fun and yeah, there's there's a ton happening and a lot for kids, obviously, too, because this is such a big thing for families and a lot of Icelanders, no matter where they go, it's, it's usually kid friendly. Well, that's all the questions for this episode. I am super happy about having started this series and I appreciate all of you who have sent in your questions. I'm excited for the others that come in as well and continuing on with this. Feel free to ask whatever comes to mind. I'm a pretty open book regarding uh, my experience here and other types of aspects about Iceland. And some of these questions also give me great ideas for potential podcast episodes, like the one about the ravens and even the political climate. I think it would be fascinating to have just like a panel maybe of Icelanders to give their direct opinion and ideas about how they feel regarding the U.S because this is something that gets asked quite a bit. So as always, thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast and you're on a platform that allows you to leave a written review, I'd greatly appreciate it if you would do that. It helps others to know what they will be learning about or hearing when they tune in. And also uh, it helps to give the show a little bit more visibility. If you're only allowed to give a rating or possible to give a rating, that is super helpful as well. Thank you.